So we're going to continue our series on the Game of Thrones, which we're talking about spiritual idolatry. A couple of things uh, I want to say about this ahead of time. I know, and this thing's not working very well, the pen thing, so I think we're going to have to do without it today. I'm not sure why it's not connecting, so no drawing on the iPad today. Um, and I was going to draw this little diagram. So a couple of things. Um, number one, just so you guys know, because I know this is not the easiest topic, and it's, uh, my intent is not just to beat you up or that kind of thing. If, if I could draw on here um, this diagram that I was going to do, um, I would do, it's something I talked about a long time ago. If you were here, do you remember the, the gospel-centered life where I'm living my life, this line, and I come to a point of where I, I believe, I come to meet Jesus, and then there, this thing kind of starts happening, this, these two lines. I start to, as I become, for me, as I became aware of God, I became aware of His greatness, His holiness, His majesty, but there was also this increasing awareness of my sinfulness. And then I came to a point that Jesus intersected. If you imagine these two lines putting a cross in it, that Jesus intersected my life and I committed my life to Him. And that as I've learned, and I talked about, gosh, two or three years ago, that this, these lines don't stop, they actually continue. And the, the Christian life is a continuing awareness of my sinfulness, a growing awareness of that. Doesn't mean I'm not being set free, but I just having an ongoing growing awareness of the reality of my heart. And there continues to be this growing awareness of God and His majesty and His holiness and His beauty. And as those things grow, the cross in the middle of this, as those grow, the cross keeps getting larger and larger in my life because the cross is the thing, the grace of God is the thing that, that brings those two together. And so I don't have to live here, though I'm becoming aware of my sinfulness, I don't have to live there, I live in the grace of God. And that's what part, this is, is part of this is helping us to grow in our awareness of a reality of the human heart, which is this pursuing after idols. And... Um, you know, hang with me a couple of more weeks. We're, God's going to start becoming, the, the cross is going to start coming into more focus over the, the coming weeks. Um, but there's, a, there's still, I think, a lot of really good insights from this. Today I'm going to talk about something that, again, profoundly affected the way I look at myself and my own motivations. Even this summer when I was away in Colorado, it was this thing I'm going to talk about today that brought me back to a really important point that was necessary in the awareness of where I was. And um, in two weeks, another thing I'm going to talk about that's become really significant in my thinking in relation to idols. Um, so just hang in there with this. And keep grabbing those little nuggets. Because um, the second week I talked about the fact that everything God has given us, everything He's created is what? It's good. It is a gift to be enjoyed. And I really love in the book that Sipping Salt Water. He has this diagram if you've gotten there. The God gives us good gifts, and what we tend to do with them is we either want to make them into a God to put them above Him, and then usually our human response, when I realize I have something as an idol, what do we tend to do? Do we come to accept it as a gift and enjoy it? Now, we tend to swing to the other side, and what we do on the other side is that thing becomes garbage and we want to get rid of it. We were just kind of talking last night, some of us, if you came to Jesus in the 70s, how many of you burned your albums or that kind of thing of your music? Some of it probably should have been burned, but, um, but it was that, that swing to where you, you, every other things become garbage. So this was a really good insight that I'm going to refer to this morning. Um, so just hang in there with me. And I want to, we're going to base our study today on Joshua 24. Would you stand with me and join as, let's read this text together. 
So in Joshua 24, it says, the word of the Lord says this, Joshua said, now honor and respect the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped before the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord." Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord, our God, and obey him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, I want to show you in here five, five idols that are... Five idols that we struggle with. Most of them are in this text, some explicitly, some implicitly. But I want to talk about the five basic idols that we all struggle with. And the first kind are our personal idols, the personal idols that we deal with. Um, we don't usually think of this, but if I could have my little thing to draw on here in this text, we tend to think of an idol as like in the ancient culture there was a temple that you would go to, and they did that. But also, people would actually devote themselves to one particular god in the pantheon and would actually carry around many times with them a little emblem of that god. In the Bible, Hebrew, it's called a teraphim. In Genesis 31:30, you see, um, I think it's Rachel, when Jacob and Rachel have left, that her father comes and hunts them down, and among other things he's upset about is she took his personal teraphim with him, the little god, she was carrying it with her. So the, the people in that culture, among all the gods they were dealing with, they, all, they had their own personal idols. And it's similar to us. We don't carry these things in our pocket this way, but we carry other things in our pockets, right? The things we just had out in our hands, right? Those don't have to be idols. But So again, we've been talking of personal idols, anything that I personally seek more than God. Um, they're the things that occupy the place in my heart that He should have. In a couple of weeks, we'll talk more about this, but they're the things that really I look to to provide me with hope, with safety, with security, with peace, happiness, the meaning and fulfillment that only God can provide. Um, and, you know, we've been talking about that. We're all there and we all understand that. John Calvin talking about our personal gods, he said that the human heart is, this is Latin, it just looks cool, but I don't even know how to say it, fabricum, idolarum, I don't even know how to say that, but... He said the human heart is an idol factory, and I think we know that. We just ch churn out idol after idol, personal idols in our own heart. And that's, um, that's just the reality of what we're doing with. Anything can be an idol. All the good gifts God gives us, any of them can become an idol. And I think, frankly, over time, everything has been an idol. Um, again, remember, they're good gifts that He's given us. 
and we take the good gift and we make it become godlike and to have a place that it shouldn't have. Now, I want to say something about personal idols that this is the thing that has been very significant to me. Because at this point, we've been talking a lot about what some people call, Tim Keller calls surface idols, what Dick Keyes calls near idols, um, which you'll kind of understand in a minute. Um, but they're the, we've been talking a lot about the idols that we wear on our sleeves, things like Jordan's trophy that he keeps showing us pictures of about once a month up here, right? That's an obvious idol or things like shopping. Um, can you believe this? A woman turned this in as her idol. I have no idea what Pioneer Woman is, but uh, whatever that is, this uh, is apparently an idol of somebody. But we've been talking a lot about these surface idols, these things that are really apparent and easy to find. But I want to tell you that the idols of our hearts are actually very multi-layered, and there's more layers to them. I know this is kind of like sad news, like this is only getting worse, but this is really helpful, that there are actually two levels to our personal idols. They're what are called surface idols and what are called deep idols. And those, the deep idols, what those are, is they're like our most basic, fundamental they're like the motivational drives that are underneath the surface idols we have. I'll explain this more clearly in a minute. But it's like the most, it's the basic motivational drives, the things that really drive my life. And several authors have identified four of them. Over the years in working with internationals and other cultures, I kept seeing what I thought was a fifth. So there are, I think, five of these things. And they really, these deep idols, the, the surface idols, like the trophy is really, it's a means for me to get a, this deeper idol, an example of comfort. So I'm going to show you this in a minute. But a lot of the things that are our personal idols are just a way for us to get to something deeper that's a motivational drive. And the five idols would be, these deep idols would be power, comfort, approval, control, and success. Power being, I need to be in a place of authority, of influence over people. I need to be the top dog, that need to have power. Comfort is the need to have a life of ease, of luxury, no problems, no pain, everything's smooth, everything's enjoyable. Approval, a lot of us know this one, the need for acceptance, the applause of people, that people-pleasing thing that so many of us struggle with, the need for human approval. That control, deep idol, man, that's a nasty one. Um, because that's my big one, I think. Um, that control idols, that thing that, that, you, that need to have everything in your, in your environment safe and secure and operating perfectly and no chaos and everything is going in your world exactly how you want it to go, how you plan it, no interruptions, that kind of thing. And then there's this success idol, which is the need to, to win, to be always number one, or just the need to constantly achieve and get a new thing. It's like get this trophy, but then next year you got to get the next trophy, and then you got to get the next one, or it's you got to finish the one work project, and, and it's that drive to do the next. Again, work projects are good things, but when it becomes about success and my identity, like me being important because I do it, then that shifts up into being godlike. Does that make sense? So even these five idols in the book, he does a great job. He talks about four of these. He has a chapter on control. And he says, we were created by God to have dominion. We were created to exert control in, this, in the creation. That's what we were created. But that's a gift. But a lot of us make that godlike, and we get to where we want to have absolute total control of our children, of everything at work, and then that's when it becomes godlike. 
So it's a gift, but these things can, can drive us, I mean, crazy. John Orberg talks about these as our shadow mission. You know, maybe you're serving a church and somebody's like, look, wow, they're so good. They serve a church. They love God. But maybe really deeply, that, I mean, there's a desire to serve God, but there's this mixed in thing maybe of the need for approval. And the reason we do some of the things we do is we need human applause, and that's the thing that we're seeking. So um, let me show you kind of how these things work, Um, how a deep idol interacts with a surface idol. Because we had talked earlier about cheating on my taxes is the surface sin, and underneath that is the idol of money. First sermon, I talked about that. Well, underneath that idol of money is probably like this idol of comfort, where what I'm doing is I'm trying to get as much money as I can so I can live that life of comfort and of ease, and that comfort, that motivation to be comfortable is what drives the idol of money, which drives the idol of cheating, I mean, the sin of cheating on my taxes. Does that all make sense? All five of these work this way. You can take five people who have an idol of money, and they're getting as much as they can, but they have purely, totally different motivations that are underneath it. I just talked about the, the, that motivate deep idol of comfort is to have luxury and ease. If you have the deep idol of power, what you're driven by is you use that money to get yourself into high places, to climb the ladder, use the money to do whatever you can to get to the positions of power. If it's approval, you'll use your money to to buy the things, the clothes, the whatever, the fashion, the, the things that give you an image, anything that will help you to gain the approval and the applause of people. If it's that control idol, here's what's really interesting because usually if you have a comfort idol, you're greedy. You're keeping a lot of money for yourself just for your comfort. A person with a control idol, you'll look at them and, and they look really frugal. They save a lot of money. But maybe what's, and you're like, wow, that's a great guy. He saves a lot of money. But what's driving that underneath actually is this idol of control. And you really believe that money is the thing that can save you and secure your life. And so you just save as much as you can so that it in retirement. Um, I heard of a, of a person who had more than a million dollars who was like in his final year of, of life and kept to his children, kept talking about, I don't have enough money like to make it to the end. And they kept saying, you got over a million dollars. And it's because they had this control idol. And when you have that idol, that you never have enough control in your life. And the success, that, that drive to being perfect, to winning, to attaining the highest level. So you use money to get whatever edge you can get on your competitor, that kind of thing. So you see how different, these different deep idols, you can have the same surface idol, but a different deep idol um, underneath. We actually see this in the Bible. I had quoted this verse the first week in Hebrews 1.11 where it says that Babylon, it says, whose, whose own strength was their God. He sacrifices to his net and he burns incense to his dragnet. They were just conquering and consuming other nations. And, and their God, the surface God to them was their strength and their power, right? But then the verse, in verse 16, it says this, for by his net... So by that strength, we find out what what they were really seeking for. He lives in luxury and enjoys the cheapest food, choicest foods. So why were they conquering all these people and using this strength? What was the end game for them? It was the deep idol of what? Of comfort, of living in luxury. That was the whole point of that. So we see that in the Bible. So I just want you to know Exodus and Ezekiel 14, a great chapter on idolatry that we won't get to, by the way, um, talks in there about that we have these mobs of idols, that's how Eugene Peterson puts it, that we have just clusters of personal idols, and we all know that. 
And what you'll find is, is your idols, these surface idols, will tend to cluster around whatever your deep idol is. So if you can figure out the deep idol, you'll have a much better sense of what's going on with those other idols. And that's something this summer that I was, there was something I was just struggling with. And as I sat and I was actually doing a study break over this, the deep idol thing came back to me and it made me dig deeper under this struggle that I was having. And I'm like, it's that dang idol. It's that deep idol of approval again. That's what it is. It's that desire to please people that's driving this, that's driving this other thing. So that, that is so, I constantly come back to this. It's so helpful for me. So the first idol we find is that idol, of those personal idols. And then there's family idols. And if I had my little marker thing, I could show you in here where it talks about, look at verse 20, uh, verse 14, where it talks about the gods of their forefathers, they worship beyond the river and in Egypt. And it says back down beyond the river in verse 15, um, their forefathers, Abraham back in those days had, had worshiped these gods of, of uh, Mesopotamia. And then when they were in Egypt, they took on the whole pantheon of those gods, especially the cow god that they tended to worship. So th- for generations, the Israelite people, even before Abraham, had been worshiping these gods and these things had been passed down from ancestors, from parents to children to their children. And you know, we all live in broken families, right? We're all sinful. I've got my idols And it's so easy for me, the things that I love and invest my life in, your children watch you, and it's so easy for them to catch the idols that I have. And so I think a lot of times, a lot of the idols we struggle with are things that our parents, and probably their parents, and maybe their parents, because the Bible talks about the sin of several generations, that, that, that we tend to catch the idols that our parents have. And as a parent, that's really humbling. Um... What's really scary as a parent, the older your kids get, the more you realize it's something you may idolize at 80%. Sometimes your kids idolize that thing at 90 or 100, like they take it to a new level. And when you realize that, that's a really kind of scary, humbling thing. So parents, just for the sake of our children, you know, being aware of our idols and being, trying to get those things back from being a God to, to enjoying them as a gift, I think is really significant. There's also cultural idols are in here. Um, yeah, so this, this thing. So, yeah, let's be generational idol busters, not generational idol boosters, because we've had things from, I've got things from my parents that I learned, idols they had that got passed on to me unknowingly. I want to be the generation that's the buster of that and try to, tries to be aware of my idols and gain freedom of them so I'm not passing them on to my children. They can have their own, right? They'll get their own all by themselves. They don't need mine. Third kind of idol is cultural. And if I had my little marker, I would show you in here. Do you see in the very middle it talks about the god of the Amorites? You see that in the very middle? That was the gods of the land of Canaan where they were coming. He says down here in verse 23, throw away the foreign gods that are among you. And we all live in places and in times and in cultures where they are gods of our cultures, where every culture elevates certain things, values, good things like freedom in American culture, is elevated to the point that it becomes about total individual autonomy and I don't care what anybody thinks, right? It, it, it gets, goes from being this gift of freedom to becoming an idol, a god of this independence and a lack of a willingness to, to be under any kind of authority. That's just one example 
Um, the Canaanites had their gods that they struggled with. And, you know, your cultural gods, they're so hard because it's like, it's like the water we live in. It's the air we breathe. We don't even, it's so hard to identify them. Um, so in your bulletin this week, there, the, the main reflection sheet is just some stuff I can check on personal idols and then thinking about my family. But on the back is a collection of cultural idols, and these just aren't Western. Having worked with people from Africa and Asia all over the world, these are idols that lots of cultures struggle with. It's a good thing, I think, to go through and ask the question, what are the, the idols I feel like my culture struggles with? Uh, but, you know, we're in America. We, I could talk for a long time, but I don't have the time about the things that we wrestle with. Sports. Hey, right here. You know, I'm, I'll stand up and say, that's, that's one of my big ones. But guys, we invest way too much of our lives in that. Um, it becomes godlike to us. Shopping, technology, you know, which, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Um, D.L. Moody said, you don't have to go to heathen lands to find false gods. America is full of them. Whatever you love more than God is your idol. So I think we would all agree with him. There's just, I just was thinking, there's just so much in our culture, economic prosperity, self-discovery, self-fulfillment, pleasure, romance, and sex, these things that are good things that have been elevated to God-like status um, and that, that end up, frankly, we'll talk in a few weeks, they, they wreck our lives. But it's the water we swim in. So it's, it's good, I think, for us to to become aware of what those cultural things are. There's a verse in Isaiah, a couple verses, about culture I really like, how culture reinforces idols. Um, here's what Isaiah 41, 6-7 says about their creating of idols. It says, they help each other, and they say to their companions, be strong, you know, go for it, do the shopping, you know, go to all the sporting events, right? The metal worker encourages the goldsmith, and the one who smooths with the hammer, he spurs on the one who strikes the anvil. One says of the welding, man, that's good, and the other nails down the idol so it will not topple. But in culture, we just, everything in our culture is telling us, like, go for it, do it. For these kinds of things that have taken on godlike status in our culture, things that are actually undermining our culture. And can I say something really quick about this, because I really believe this strongly. When I became a believer um, in a pretty conservative church, and they talked a lot about worldliness, and worldliness was defined by this little uh, saying that I learned. I don't drink, and I don't chew, and I don't date the girls that do. Okay? So worldliness was this emphasis on these outward things like promiscuity or, you know, getting drunk or whatever. That these were the things that were defined as worldly. But Paul in, in Romans 12.2, he says, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the worldliness starts here. It's not drinking and chewing and dating girls that do. Promiscuity that's rampant in our culture, Right? That's the worldliness, if we think that's what worldliness is, what worldliness is are the things like this in our culture that are gods, like romance, um, self-fulfillment, self-discovery, anti-authority, those are the things that drive that, and if we as a church don't start getting free from those idols, we're not going to solve those, those problems that are kind of surfaced, does that make sense? So to me, worldliness are these cultural things that drive us, these idols. Um, so, enough said about... Uh, the girls that drink and chew. So, okay. Um, 
Fifth idol is generational. Um, and just again, that they are coming, it says, into this land of the Amorites. And this generation that's new to Canaan, they're dealing with idols that their parents never dealt with. Their parents dealt with Mesopotamian and Egyptian idols, but never dealt with the Amorite idols. And just this reminder in here for me that even generations struggle with different idols. Jordan and I talked about this Thursday. We had a really good talk about deep idols and what his are and what mine are. And as we were talking, I was telling him, I think one of the deep idols of my generation is that success idol, the drive to achieve, to work hard all the time. And he told me, he said, I think my generational deep idol is comfort, the idol of comfort. So each generation deals with different things. So I think we need to be aware of what my generation struggles with that others don't. Um, like, I mean, the phone, right? There's been this advance in the phone. This is, by the way, that top guy. That's why Scott had such a hard time with the survey, because, Scott, you can't do a survey on one of those things like that. that. <laughs> I'm just teasing you, Scott. He's my good brother who I love. But you know how phone, we went to the dial phone and then the push button, and then we put the push button on the wall. And then we're like, hey, we can take that and put it, on the, put it down on the table. And then it became the, what is that thing? You know, the, the wireless, and then it became, right, and... Somebody here, this is the way they communicated. I'm not sure who, but somebody, this was their generation. I see a hand back there. But anyways, yeah, Aiden turns around like, who's he talking about? Um, but we all deal with generational idols. Not just individual personal ones, but those deep idols. I think generations struggle with those. And then there's a fifth kind of idol, and it's vocational idols. Um, again, this is not explicit in the text, but if you understand the culture then you understand that, that in almost every culture that has idols, part of the, the idols that they deal with are what are called, you know, a guild, a guild is like a certain career or a vocation, that in each guild they would have a god that was over that guild. And so if you were a carpenter, you would worship the god of carpentry. So Ares was the god over military and war, Asclepius over medicine, uh, the Dioscuri were the gods of sailors and horsemen and races. Demeter, the god of agriculture. Hepastasis, I don't know how to say that, was the god of smiths and craftsmen. Hermes was the god of athletes. The muses were the gods of music and the arts. So in their culture, you're not just worshiping personal gods and cultural gods and the gods of the moment, but you're also worshiping the gods of whatever your area of work is. And we don't do this anymore, but... I still think in our vocations that there are certain idols that, that become, that are gifts, but there are certain things that become godlike. So, for example, in politics, I think people in politics can struggle with the idols of power, of success, of ideology. I think individuals in the arts struggle with the gods of self-expression, critical acclaim, being wanted. Um, business is littered with people who worship the idols of money and comfort and achievement, really achievement, I think. People in ministry struggle with the idols of pleasing people, needing to be needed. So I think in every vocation, every area, there are idols that we struggle with, and I think we need to be aware of that. And this sheet has a section for you to think about that question. What might be the idols of, of my vocation, my career? I was wanting to end with the story of Gideon. We're going to bring Gideon back later. He's on the front. Um... But I just want to challenge all of us that if we are really going to impact Emporia, Kansas, if we're going to impact our culture, 
if we are no different than anybody else on these deep idols and on these cultural idols, if we're just as much a slave to self-fulfillment, self-discovery, total autonomy, discovering who I am, creating my own identity, if we're, if we're slaves to those like everybody else, we will not impact our culture. We will not impact the people around us. That's why Paul says to not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but to be a transformed people. It's the only way we'll truly impact those around us is when they see that we are not living for those deep things they live for. And so, 1 Chronicles 12, 32, I love this verse I have for years where we're told that the men of Issachar were men who understood the times and they knew exactly what they should do. And so, those are the five idols that I think all of us struggle with, right? Personal idols. Can you guys help me? First one would be personal Second one, family idols, the things that my parents, my grandparents worship, the things I'm going to pass on to my children if I'm not careful. What's the third one? Cultural idols, the things in our culture that tend to suck us in and become godlike. What was the fourth one? Yeah, the things that my generation struggles with. I need to be aware of that. And then the fifth one was those vocational, the things in my field that tend to get elevated. They're good things, but they just get elevated to godlike status. So, those are just the five things we need to be aware of. I would, if, we, if I had my marker, I would just show you how many times in here Joshua says, respect the Lord. Look at 14. Serve the Lord with all faithfulness. Throw those gods away. Serve the Lord at the end of 14. 15, if serving the Lord seems undesirable. There's that desire word, by the way, again. Choose today whom you're going to serve. As for me and my family, we're going to serve who? The Lord. Isn't that a great verse? A lot of people hang that in their home. And the people said, far be it for us to forsake the spring of living water. Right? Far be it to to dig cisterns of our own. We will serve Him too. Then Joshua says, throw those things away. Yield your hearts to God. And the people said, we will serve the Lord and obey Him. That word serve occurs, I don't six, seven times in there. So can we be that kind of people? Would you stand with me? This has gone a little long. I apologize. Survey went a little longer than I thought. Thank you for doing that. But would you join me? I just, here's what I want to do. Um, and I know we don't all have houses here, but households, but can you guys join me with the words? I just want to say as a community, I just want to say as for me and my household, I will serve the Lord. Can we just do that together as a community today as a commitment to be striving to live for Him? So let's do that. As for me and my household, I will serve the Lord. I will serve the Lord. Lord, make that our commitment. Lord, we're not doing this to be hard on ourselves. We're doing it because we want to be free of the things we worship, the personal things, the things that I got from my own parents, the things I passed on to my children, sadly. Lord, the things in my culture that I worship like everybody else, the things my generation worship, the thing that people in my vocation struggle with. Lord, we want to give all of those to you. We want to yield to you and we want to serve you. That's our heart. May we be a people who are known as people who serve and obey you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Master. Amen. So, let us go serve the Lord this week to bow the knee to Him every day and to serve Him. So, you are sent to be that kind of people.